0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: We're just going to give everyone a few more minutes to in and join us. We just lost our our guest. (laughs) Let's see what happened to him. there we go okay got it all right let's give the community a few more minutes to come It's a chilled, <clears throat> chilled Friday evening, so we'll let them all kind of stroll in afterwards and we'll send them the recording. Welcome, Alex.
2: Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks Likewise.
1: Um, cool. Okay. So how I want to do this is, um, you know, I, I always consider myself a big libertarian. And, um, you know, just like governments never waste a good crisis uh, to kind of take up our, our rights away, I never like to waste a good crisis to remind people why you know, it doesn't matter sometimes uh, kind of how free Web3 is if, uh, if our physical bodies are not in safe places. And I think that the recent Ukrainian crisis highlights this more than anything ever before because so many of you know, our friends in Eastern Europe are so heavily involved in crypto and in NFTs and in the Web3 space. So kind of that's my ulterior motive in getting you here. And I thought who better uh, than to kind of give us uh, the alternative dream, right? For alternative governance, uh, than the fine people from the free private cities and to polis who have kind of made this their mission. So welcome.
2: Thank you. Certainly nice to be here. And we're, uh, I think you're exactly right. We are working to build uh, the alternative governance system uh, for those of us that have libertarian leanings. So, nice to be here.
1: Awesome. Um, so, this, you know, let's, let's take everyone who may not be familiar through a little bit of the history of Free Private Cities, if you can. Uh, I, I first heard about it um, kind of via, via some of my libertarian friends, and then I got to read Dr. Titus Gibble's book. So, it, could you give us a bit of a background?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to, to give you the background as far as I'm aware. Um, the The idea, as you mentioned, was really the brainchild of Dr. Titus Gebel, uh, who wrote the book, uh, Free Private Cities, Making Governments Compete for You. Um, this book was, uh, it's probably a, mm, eight or 10 years old at this point. Um, Dr. Gebel himself is a world-renowned entrepreneur, um, lawyer by trade um, German national that uh, w- had a very successful uh, previous life in oil and gas mining and uh, really has turned his attention to, um, you know, aligning his work to be more in line with his principles, not this necessarily that his previous work was out of line with it. But at this point, he'd really focus on a mission oriented um Uh, pursuit. And so he started the Free Private Cities Foundation and wrote the book to really spread the idea about how governance is really just a service, uh, much like anything else you might buy on the market, uh, and that we really need to change the framework in which we look at this. Then uh, in the past three years or so, um, for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which we think the timing is is most ripe, um, Dr. Gebel actually started a company called Tiplis uh, that's actually going to try to go out into the world and create these free private cities. So the foundation was created years ago as really a promotional arm. Uh, and then the project company Tipilus, uh has really been started in the past about three years uh, and we're going to go try to make this, uh, you know, one of these or more than one of these a reality.
1: Fantastic. So let's um, kind of let's do a little bit of a, a philosophical uh, session first, and then we'll kind of move into the practical uh, on what kind of Tiburus try is trying to build. But um, kind of what would you say is the central problem that free private cities were stating that could be
2: solved? Yeah, so I, I think the main problem is really that, and this will come as no surprise to the libertarians in the in the on the audience that we all live under a leviathan. I am uh, in the U.S., so maybe I'm most guilty of it, uh, but our governments are out doing absolutely everything. They have their hands in every single thing you could imagine. You can't do anything in your life without something being regulated, someone telling you what you can or can't do, etc. cetera. I think in particular, the past few years under uh, the COVID lockdowns, a lot of people came to realize that just how true this was. And so one of the big problems that we're trying to solve is that we think a government ought to be a service provider and you ought to get only what you pay for rather than a government that overreaches and always tries to expand and expand into more and more um, areas of your life. And one of the best ways to solve this problem is we believe through implementing a real contract between a governance provider and a citizen instead of the mythical social contract that we're always told you know you sign this by living in xyz state and therefore you have to agree to be taxed and you have to agree to you know abide by all these regulations and have all of your financial uh data snooped on and etc uh, we we don't think that's the right way to go about governance we think that uh, what we'd like to do is set up a city have people move there actually sign a real contract where both sides agree to the uh agree to the terms of the contract and then we we both have to up uphold the sides of the contract that we've agreed to and so for the governance provider or the city operator what we would agree to is essentially we will guarantee that you have Uh, Protection from you know common theft and burglary, those types of things. Uh, It gets a little bit more tricky when we get into national defense, but I'm happy to go there later on. Uh, We would guarantee that you know we will provide uh, you know certain basic infrastructure services, and we would also likely implement some sort of dispute resolution system. Where, of course, we don't control it; it's an independent third party. Because if we're a party to the contract, Uh, We can't be also a party (laughs) that oversees and and resolves disputes. I think this is one of the main areas where governments have a leg up on us uh, lowly citizens these days. And then you as a citizen would agree uh, to something as simple as, you know, I will pay you 2,000 euros per year, and I agree that I'm allowed to do whatever I want as long as I don't violate other people's person or property. And so we think a simple contract like that would do a lot for uh, ensuring both quality of life for citizens, uh, easy. We think there's a profit uh, incentive for the city operator. uh, And we think it allows freedom to really flourish and and, and entrepreneurs to to come into the city and, and make the most of their lives and really improve the world. Super. So let's unpack that bit. So basically, you know, kind of the premise is
1: when I buy a cell phone and I get coverage, right? I sign a contract. I know what I'm getting into. They, have, no, they agree to what they're going to provide me. We agree on a price. If I don't like it, I go to another cell phone company. And the government behemoths that we live under these days, as you said, have, have told us that we somehow implicitly agree, agree to a constitution or agree to a set of laws Uh, and if we don't like it we can bugger off and yet we can't change it we can't change our providers they're all part of this kind of global coalition mafia called the UN uh, and they're all in on it right and um, and they have the kind of monopoly on force and they they have their fingers in all the pies and in all the the legal codes and in the jury and the judges and we're supposed to be okay with that uh whereas kind of you're saying look if, you, if, we were, if a company or group were to buy a, a town or a city and set it up like a service provider, uh, we could then have an, a direct contract, agree to the terms we both have to agree, and agree to like whatever my base fee of 500 bucks includes X, Y, and Z, and if I want the premium version, I can pay 750 bucks, whatever it is. And then we're bound by that
2: contract. And if we have a disagreement,
1: we have a third party
2: to resolve it precisely i think that's exactly right it's the shift of viewing governance as something that governments provide to viewing governance as something that companies provide as a service just like you outlined you know you you pay a price for your cell phone service and you could also pay a price for know, governance services. And if, you know, in our our view of the world, it's not necessarily aligned with our company. But if we had it, you know, if we had an open market in governance, we might operate a relatively libertarian city. Someone else might operate a a city that's much more uh, overbearing and wants to look in all of your, uh, you know, financial statements and they want to uh, you know, regulate how much, uh, you know, electricity you can use, etc. cetera, um, that's fine. We would allow that to happen on the market and then let the customer decide, you know, I like this or that service, or I like this bundle of services. And like you said, you can have premium or discount uh, offerings as well. And so I think that that's exactly right, is what we're trying to do is shift everything to, to being more of a service. Uh, and, and we think there's a profit uh, to be made as well as, um, you know, opening the door for some some liberty to sneak into the lives of uh, people that choose to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love that example you brought up, actually, because it's so funny to me, you know, I I will say this to my friends on the left and the right, you know, when it comes to the right, I agree with that, that people should get their hands out of my pockets when it comes to my money. And when it comes to the left, I want everyone to get out of my bedroom, right? And, you know, so in other words, what we're saying, Alex, is volunteerism, volunteerism right? I have no problem with someone setting up, you know, again, I can, I can voice my opinion that it's wrong, but if someone wants to voluntarily find 10 or 100 friends to set up a white-only city and everyone's in agreement, right, I, again, I can find the idea distasteful, but as long as there's no force being used to push everyone into that status... Uh, you know, that's, that's what adults do, right? If, if adults want to kind of make their national clothing, uh, you know, dark black leather and, 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 you know, greet each other in the morning with a whip on the back, again, that's, that's volunteerism. Do whatever you like as consenting adults. And yet it's everyone else telling us that we have this, you know, no, 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 you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And it's like, well, we're adults. We've, we've, we've kind of bound ourselves to a contract. And uh, so, yeah, you know that I come. I'm living in Israel. We have the kibbutz system, you know, where people voluntarily agree to live in communes. Good for them.
2: Absolutely, and that's funny you say that. I didn't realize that you were in Israel. That's uh, that was the example I was just going to go to. So y- you gave the example of uh, you know various um, racial preferences or. Um, you know, anything else. So, you know, social preferences. The other thing that the market would allow choice for is economic systems within, uh, you know, a free private city. If you think that a socialist uh, economy is going to work on a city scale, by all means, please do try it. I, I would be happy to be proven wrong. I really do genuinely mean I wish you the best of luck. Uh, I don't think I would move there, but it's, um, it's one of those things, again, you, you just you let people decide on the market what they'd like to bind themselves to, and then you expect people to uphold their end of the bargain. And if they don't, uh, it's very important to have a third-party adjudicator uh, that will ensure ensure the, the uh, rule of law stays in place.
1: Awesome. Okay, so before we get into some of the kind of nuts and bolts as well... Uh, let's do another kind of philo- philosophical spin. I mean, people always say to me, who will build the roads? I think that's the most common question I get kind of fr- from some of my friends. And the other question I often get is, as you said, the use of force, right? How will, um, you know, once we empower people to kind of have the right to carry arms or the right to protect us, those same people can turn around and do a coup and take us over, right? Uh, or abuse their power so i think those are two big questions people often ask how how is that solved in a kind of free in in a in a contractual kind of uh, corporate model
2: sure well i i don't think that there's necessarily one solution again um, but i can tell you the way we think about it um, as tipppoliss the way um, we do have a current project uh, that i unfortunately can't share much more about at this time but the way we're thinking about this project is, you know, we need to raise money ourselves. We're going to build the infrastructure and then we need to charge a price uh, for citizens to live in our city high enough that can compensate us for the fact that we had to go out and build all the roads and all of the infrastructure. So one of the, one of the difficult aspects of this sort of business is that, uh, it's really, really difficult to implement in a city where people, or a town even, where people already live. It's, um, it's arguably against our sort of philosophical objectives of, you know, wanting this to be a voluntarily uh, decided city. And so if you're going to make a, a free private city where people already live, they would have to then make the affirmative decision to move out of it if they didn't want to live there. But that's, of course, um, a little bit unfair to them, in in my view. And so the way we're trying to build the cities is by land that is completely unoccupied. And the benefit of that is exactly that you don't have the problem of uh, anyone already living there. So anyone who does move to the city voluntarily agrees to this contract. But the downside is there's nothing there. And so you have to build the entire infrastructure. That's not just roads, that's energy, that's internet, that's, uh, you know, everything that you could, that's sewage systems, that's clean water filtration systems. That's everything that you could think of in any modern uh, country. Um, and, And so it's, obviously there's a big expense to that and there's relatively limited, you know, direct, Revenue streams from those things—they're—they're—they're they're, they're what uh, people frequently call public goods, uh, and we can <laughs> quibble a little bit about what, in fact, are public goods and what aren't. But the fact of the matter is that these are some of the goods that are a little bit more difficult to to finance. And so, um, our idea really is just to raise money at our corporate level, and we're going to go in and we're going to build the first. Uh, the first roads, and we're going to, this is going to have to be an iterative and a scaled up process uh, over time. Uh, but we're going to pay for all of those things, and we're going to hire the, the construction companies. We might even build a construction company ourselves to build the first buildings uh, and, and ensure we have energy, electricity, roads, et cetera. And then we just have to take the entrepreneurial risk that uh, we can one attract enough people to come live there. And two, that they'll pay a high enough fee. We don't have taxes, by the way. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. It would just be this fee um, that, that we can use that, those fees to, to, uh, to cover the cost of everything that we have to spend on infrastructure. And so that's how we're, we're viewing it. It's really, uh, it's just an entrepreneurial risk. I think there are certainly other ways to do it. We could sell land. To a toll road operator who might build a road and then charge a toll through it, uh, I don't see a problem with that necessarily. Uh, it's just no, you know, not the route that we've gone. We've gone for.
1: I mean, look, you know, it's, it's, look like you know, it's not like this idea is so far out, right? We have enormous uh, kind of towns that have been built by developers. They just were kind of under an existing government framework right it's not like we haven't seen towns built from the bottom up with roads with sewerage with infrastructure whether they be in china or india or america for that matter right half these golf resorts are pretty much the same thing the key yep. difference is the the model right are you bound by the governmental structure paying taxes or can we make this a contractualized uh, deal and obviously you would take you know get investors take loans Build the whole infrastructure and work out how much you need to charge uh, the kind of the, the contractees, the residences, uh, re- resid- res- residents. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to use citizens, but you know, people who have agreed to live in this place, uh, what they should pay as you, as we said as a base fee uh, or maybe for premium services. Um, and and the legal one, the legal question, as I say, is 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 you know fairly easy to resolve because we have that as well right in, in international uh, e- e- e-commerce uh, there are many you know uh, impartial arbitrators who who need to arbitrate between different parties right we 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 have that kind of legal structure in existence of arbitration and uh, third parties being in in the legal in the legal engagement i think the, the biggest question or fear for people or maybe the fear mongers will say is well, you know, who is going to kind of protect my assets, right? And if it is the service operator, uh, couldn't they then turn around one day and become King John
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's, uh, there. I, I guess that, that concern is valid to the extent that, uh, to, to a certain extent. I mean, it's one of those, uh, you know, catch-22s uh, that, you know, couldn't they turn around and be the, uh, the all-powerful force, sure, but that's already what we live under. So, uh, you know, as compared to what, I guess, is the first thing. <laughs> the second, the second argument is really that we're we're talking about city level scales, and as of right now, um, there, there is no such thing as a fully free private city. Each one needs a host country, uh, and there are certain levels of autonomy that that are just really difficult. Uh, to get. And so, uh, you know, to the extent that you have a host country, the host country uh, is also interested in, um, in, 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 you know, putting that type of risk to bed. But I think the one that would, that would be the most likely on the free market is really just how, how the market operates and keeps these various companies uh, in line. It regulates them itself. It doesn't need, uh, you know, if we turned around and, and we were going to confiscate your property and we were going to then, you know, unilaterally change the contract, you would just move out and you'd be out, you know, maybe that year's fee if we were really tyrants and stole it. Um, but then you'd go somewhere else. And, you know, certainly you could sue us in uh, in international courts and we would have no control over that. Most likely they would judge us to be guilty if we were and, you you know, you'd get your money back. I also think there are insurance uh, plays to be made on this front. Um, You know, certainly there, there could be an insurance market that pops up that says, you know, this is a really interesting new, uh, new industry. We're not sure if we trust it. Um, Why don't I buy some insurance that says, you know, I'll pay you X amount per year. And if this company ends up confiscating my house and my property and, you know, my, you know, whatever's gold in my safe, uh, in the zone or in the city, uh, then we'll, then we'll pay, you know, to, to make you whole from that. So I think there are a number of different ways. I I don't really think that, uh, the concern is so much that the for-profit company would be, um, too much of a tyrant as much as the, the genuine concern. And I think there are responses to it, but, but there are concerns about it. That uh, if you do have to have a host com- uh, country, what happens if you're very successful and the host country changes its mind and says, you did have this autonomy, turns out we don't want you to have it, we're taking it back. And I, I think that is a concern and we're, we're watching it play out somewhat right now in Honduras with the closest thing to free private cities that exists in the world. Uh, and so far, they're, they're struggling a bit to do it. Um, but they're certainly waging a pressure campaign.
1: Right. So I, th- I think that's a good segue from the theoretical into the pragmatic, right? I think of free private cities as the think tank, um, you know, and, um, and Tipolis is the pragmatist trying to kind of make these things a reality. So what what will it practically mean, Alex? Um, you know, wh- what do you expect to see first happen as this movement advances? I mean, I like to think of, Free private cities, in their simplest sense, as special economic zones plus, right? Because the special economic zone concept already exists. It's worked since Dublin came out with it, and now there's hundreds of them all over the world. There may even be thousands. Um, how do you envision a, a kind of a city from scratch being created? And you know what? What would kind of be a basic requirement for a quality host nation? You know what? What can you? Ex- what can we expect moving forward?
2: Yeah, I think. It's funny you say you think of free private cities as a special economic zone. Plus, Uh, I think we we also use that type of language. Uh, And the other the other, I guess, model to think about would be a charter city plus. Um, So instead of having a a charter uh, that that might have a different nation as sort of, um, you know, running this city, it, it would have a for profit company. Um, and so I think that th- those are very good explanations as for sort of what we're going for. The other piece to it is that y- you're right. Uh, free private cities is really the, uh, the think tank and Tipolis is the let's go out and do it. And the let's go out and do it side has challenges associated with it. As far as I'm aware, there's not a single country on earth that has said please do come here, we'd be happy to give up all autonomy. You can have this portion of our land and do what you want. That hasn't happened yet. And so it puts us in a, in a, in a challenging spot that we have to go to countries and actually negotiate with them to see what would they be willing to give us, how could we get it, and how could we uh, compensate them? Because they're not going to give us something you know, unless they're getting something in return. And usually the the in return is, you know, we believe this will be an entrepreneurial success. This will attract foreign direct investment, um, th- those types of things where it'll overall grow the economy. And so you think, all right, fine. That's what the host country gets. Not all countries are going to be interested in that. The U.S. Uh, certainly hasn't been knocking on our door, and I don't expect them to. They have the Federal Reserve and the World Reserve currency for now. So I don't think that they care so much. Um, what it does mean is that it's typically countries that are in a bit poorer situation, financially, uh, economically, uh, developmentally, etc., that are more willing to negotiate on these types of topics. They are usually countries that have uh, historically received a fair amount of money from, uh, you know, the World Bank and the international uh, international uh, agencies trying to promote. Um, investment, those types of countries. And so what our real pitch is is that uh, you know we think instead of getting these loans and getting these you know grants that end up, uh, as with all governments, usually just going to the few politically connected people, uh, why don't you just change the rules a little bit, at least in this small little area uh, of your country? We're going to try to do something entrepreneur, entrepreneurial. And if we are successful, you could see the economy grow massively in this area and uh, that might spread across to your whole country. And really, I think that that's sort of the stage that we're in right now is working with countries that are in a bit tougher of a situation. uh, and, And if we're successful and we can create multiple of these free private cities and we can get the GDP growth that we think is possible. Uh, We're hoping that that what that is, is that that'll that'll be the start to uh, this idea spreading wider as, um, you know, I'm just I'm pulling these. uh, Well, let's let's go with Honduras because that's public. If these ZAs uh, or charter cities in Honduras are very successful, uh, that's going to help Honduras significantly. And then maybe El Salvador, which is probably a bad example because they've done the whole Bitcoin thing. Uh, Maybe Guatemala then sees, wow, that really worked for Honduras. That grew their economy, you know, 15 percent per year for 10 years, as opposed to the rest of the world that was, you know, stagnating at, you know, whatever, 2 percent growth. Uh, Maybe we should do something like that. And then the game theory plays out and and these governments actually have to compete towards who can have the more liberalized uh, special economic zones. And we really saw that play out with special economic zones over the past 30 years or so. China was one of the first countries to do it and they reaped a lot of rewards, but now special economic zones exists all over the world. Uh, I mean, they're in just about every country, it seems, and, uh, they're no longer enough to attract investment because they're everywhere. It's just getting you back to even. And so we hope yeah. that this will you know, be the same sort of catalyst uh, with even further autonomy.
1: Okay, so let, let's take this in two ways. Um, number one, why, you know, I, I think I, look, I see it as so obvious why any kind of struggling country or small country, right? Like these different little islands would want to, to host, you know, a, a charter city like that, right? I think they've all benefited from offshore banking, From specialized tourism. They need something to compete with their big brothers, right? When you look at Australia next to the Fiji Islands and stuff, obviously the Fiji Island has to give itself a niche business. Why do you think so many of these host nations feel threatened by the idea of a charter city in their land? I mean, we you know, again, I'm not sure if everyone listening is aware, but there's a movement called the seasteading movement who wanted to create kind of floating islands and they had a almost closed a deal with the Fiji government uh, and then politics got in the way and, you know, it never, it never came to pass. And I, I, I struggle to understand what they are feeling so threatened about. I mean, let's use Honduras as an example. You know, the socialist kind of government came into play. Surely this would be a fantastic opportunity for them to have an external revenue and reach and tourism and so on.
2: Yeah, it's a bit hard for me to put myself in the shoes of a government that would be afraid of it. So I, I empathize with you and not knowing exactly what they're so concerned about, other than the abstract idea of we can't give up our sovereignty. Uh, that's always the term used. It's always the reason given. I, I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not sure why, uh, why that is, but, but it is, and it's not just a problem for. Uh, you know, charter cities or free private cities, it's it, it, going back off your seasteading example, uh, there there actually were seasteaders off the coast in international waters near Thailand. And they, they were forced to flee before they were almost arrested by the Thai, uh, the Thai police or the Thai military. And so, you know, I, I think the part of the reason is just that anyone who is willing and able to set up some sort of independent uh relatively autonomous area is a threat to all governments everywhere and i, I can't say that i agree with that <laughs> um, but but it seems to be the case in honduras um you know it i i have to say i think part of it is is politics it's um the other side wanted these ZAs, uh, so we don't. Uh, I think that's always a challenge and that's going to be a challenge for the long term. Uh, but otherwise, it's, you know, it's really hard to, to understand exactly why uh, governments are so unwilling to experiment, ex- especially uh, governments of, that are relatively less wealthy. Uh, I, I, I'm not terribly surprised the U.S., uh, for example, doesn't. Want to give up any sovereignty or any autonomy, um, but but it's a bit harder to understand why some some Latin American countries, some African countries, some Eastern European countries, it, it's it, it is a bit shocking to me as well that they they wouldn't experiment with things like this. So, so what, what gives you hope then? you know, I mean, this is definitely a very
1: long play, both on the philosophical front and the voting front. I mean, even if someone does agree, right, it takes a decade or many years at least to put together a town, a city, or whatever, what gives you hope that you're going to find willing candidates, uh, willing host nations that are both not completely in deep water? Because, you know, when I heard about the Honduras stuff, I spoke to my mother. I'm like, you know, maybe I'll move to Honduras. She said, you're fucking not moving to Honduras. I don't care (laughs) if they guarantee anything. That's the country with a track record as a banana republic and you are not moving to Honduras. So what gives you hope that we're going to find sensible host nations that both get the idea and are also kind of somewhat in a healthy place that we don't think they're just gonna kind of roll the tanks in and, and just seize everything
2: yeah i think that's a great question and the answer is i i think um twofold there there are a number of countries that i certainly understand where you're coming from honduras being being the the prime example uh, in terms of already having close to free private cities but its reputation is not the strongest it's not the strongest here in the states either a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy too when I go down to Honduras and visit. Um, so I certainly understand that. I, I think there are other countries that don't have that reputation necessarily. Um, probably even countries that you've never heard of, uh, but they're relatively safe. Um, you know, there are certain, especially island countries, that that can be. Um, you know, quite safe. They often don't have or have very small militaries. Uh, they're relatively peaceful and calm. They don't really have um, much international presence. And, and therefore, the, the response back is, you know, there's not some sort of, um, you know, geopolitical conflict between, you know, China versus the U.S. on uh, island X, Y, Z. Um, so, yeah, I think that there are certain candidates out there. There aren't many. I'll grant you there are not many. Uh, but I do think that there are some. Uh, the other, the other real reason why I think that this is um, prime to move forward, you know, about now is governments are increasingly tyrannical and increasingly financially irresponsible. There are uh, more people than ever that have reached out to our company and some of our, you know, sister companies and competitors uh, just asking about when we will have something for them because they don't want to stay in any one of the European countries, Israel, the U S Canada, you name it. We've had people reach out to us and it's because they're all starting to realize what us libertarians have known for a very long time is that Governments are inherently the monopoly use on force, and they always expand power, and it's always coming for you next. And so I think a lot of people are understanding that now, and they're realizing that they'd like uh, to do something. So the demand is growing, and I think governments are, they're not terribly good at listening, but I do think that they're hearing from some citizens in certain cases that, uh, you know, these types of things are a good idea. And then really probably the the predominant reason why I think that there will be more of these opportunities in the future is that we are just going to see so many countries absolutely unable to repay any debts that they owe. The uh, COVID pandemic and then the the government shutdowns have just ruined the finances of so many countries. Uh, And a lot of countries just don't have Um, a reserve currency that they can print. A lot of them use the U.S. dollar. They certainly don't have access to the money printer in the U.S. And so they actually have to pay back their bills. And to the extent that your currency is not the world reserve currency, if you print, you're going to inflate very quickly. So I think that this is just an it's a challenge that is going to be growing over time. And one of the potential solutions for it, I'm not sure that it's the sole solution, but a solution is uh, allowing more innovation and more liberalization. And some of that might include, uh, you know, granting autonomy in certain segments for people to experiment and do crazy things. And maybe it just so happens that it works out. And so that's really the thesis of our company is that these opportunities will grow over time because of uh, the culmination of those events. And then finally, I guess I would add the game theory. Um, Once you get a couple on the hook, then some of their neighbors start to notice, uh, assuming that everything goes fine, and it, it turns out that we're right—that free markets are generally good. Uh, then the game theory might might start to play out.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a very good points. I mean, I think there, you know, it's it's sad that it takes bad situations uh, to kind of move the needle. Uh, but I mean, you know, a, a very positive sign, for example, is you know, Brexit happened without a gun being shot, right? Um, we're now seeing between the different states, we see mass migration from kind of the blue states to some of the red states in the US. We're seeing places like Dakota acknowledging Web3 DAOs as kind of legal entities. You are seeing certain uh, small nations or states um, kind of thinking out of the box and saying, how do we keep our edge or how do we kind of seize an ob- you know, see an opportunity over here and grab it? Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, something like Hong Kong was even was, was probably the most devastating event to me, uh, much more than COVID in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, the, the fact that kind of, you know, we, we said that you can appeal to, uh, you know, to international courts and stuff. The fact that kind of no one came to the aid of Hong Kong, um, both reinforces why we need charter cities or a, actually a, maybe a coalition of different charter cities that can stand up for the freedoms that they promised their uh, kind of shareholders and residences because um, yeah, we just left Hong Kong, which was one of our brothers in Liberty uh, to some ridiculous constitution that they never agreed to.
2: Yep. I think that's exactly right. It's why we need multiple free private cities uh, because you just never know. There are certainly some are going to fail uh, and hopefully that means that some are going to succeed. And I think it also emphasizes the, uh, The necessity of finding a good host nation. Um, You know, Hong Kong was extraordinarily successful. But the problem is you're next door to China. And if China says something and they really want it, they're just going to get it because we can't go to nuclear war. This is also the problem that's happening in Ukraine right now. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the U.S. just can't go to war with Russia. It's just off the table because the planet ends. And so, uh, you know, it is certainly something to be aware of when you're choosing a host nation. And it is also something that is just it is a humbling thing to consider that um, I I think we'd be foolish to think that this is a utopian plan and that we're just going to save the world and make it a libertarian paradise. I don't think that that's true. I don't think that's achievable. And I don't really think that should be our goal. I think most people don't want what we want and so what we're trying to build is a free private city where the few people that would like to opt out can opt out and they can have a relatively less stressful life without all of these overburdening regulations and you know privacy uh being uh the people snooping on them you know those types of things i i i think it's it's really important to keep in mind that we we would like this movement to grow. We'd like to have a plethora of free private cities, but we we ought not kid ourselves that we're going you know, we're going to snap our fingers and the world is going to be a, a Rothbardian uh, you know libertarian world. I, I just don't I don't think that that's really possible nor what we're going for. Yeah, I, I think you bring it back to the really the, the, the initial point. I think you're so correct. Most people,
1: you know, whether it's good for them or not, right? Many people eat terribly and are terrible to their bodies, whether it's good for them or not. And what we really want is, you know, this, this thing called freedom and liberty is a historical anomaly in, in all of time. It's not the norm. And we just want to protect that and kind of make sure that the ones of us who want it can keep it and have it. And, I'll, I, you know, I think I feel the same as you. I just tell people I like to vote with my feet. All I don't want to tell other people how to live. You live how you want. But can't I exit this nightmare and go somewhere and pay my fees and just work and get on with my life? And that's what you know. What always drew me to Dr. Titus Gebel and his book and, and Free Private Cities is this pragmatic thing of, you, you know what, France, if you think your country's running right, Germany, you think you're running right,
2: good for you. Can I leave, please, and can you not screw it up for me when I try to leave. I think that's exactly right. Exit is the key. Uh, and, and most people won't exit and that's fine. But uh, for those that would like to, we'd like to provide an alternative for them.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. One qu- final question um, regarding, there are a couple of movements in the crypto world. I mean, you know, most of the listeners of are very entrenched in kind of NFT world and the Web3 world. And there have been a number of um, projects popping up that are saying, look, we're just going to buy an island in Vanuatu. I mean, I can give an example. There's one now called Satoshi's Island that has just gone ahead and bought an island in Vanuatu. And I actually just spoke to some of the team an hour ago and I'm like, well, you know, what does the government think of this? And they're like, well, the government knows... Uh, but we're not getting any special status. And we're essentially kind of, you know, building residences over there and uh, they've got a very favorable tax code and they're okay with us doing this. Um, And, you know, it gets me thinking, that's not really enough, is it?
2: That's our view. Uh, Our view is that that, that's good for what it is, but it's not enough. Uh, If you're going to live under the same regulatory space, the same governance space, that you were before uh, bringing more wealth uh, certainly does help you live a free life but it doesn't solve some of the, uh, the it doesn't solve the crux of the problem i think the same the same argument really could be made about el salvador and bitcoin city uh you know certainly the it's exciting um and and we wish the government of el salvador much success in this and i think they've made some good steps in I believe there's going to be, you know, no taxes in the city other than maybe one VAT, one one relatively modest uh, VAT. They're going to change the um, securities laws so they can issue uh, the Bitcoin backed bonds. I mean, those are good things. But the, the, the problem that they're going to struggle with, in our view, is that it's still El Salvador. And unless you change the regulatory regime investor, international investors, and international tourists and potential nomads to move to those places uh, are going to struggle to some extent uh, to, to pull the trigger. And so uh, we, we really think that these these types of projects are great and they're very much compatible with our vision as TIPLIS, uh, but that we'd like to find ways to work together so that we can do both. Um, You know, Typolis is certainly uh, open to and very interested in crypto generally. And so, you know, certainly uh, we we have no problem with that. It's just that um, at its core, if you're under a government, you're still going to over time experience these unilateral diktats that you have no control over uh, because you signed some you didn't sign some uh, social contract. Right. Yeah. I, I
1: think that that's kind of the key point of it. And, you know, their, their pragmatic argument back would be, well, you know, this, these islands have a history of, of, of not overstepping. But that, that's, not, that's not very comforting in, in a world where we've just seen, you know, kind of so, many of so many of our freedoms being unilaterally taken away. It's not very comforting to say, well, you know, they haven't been so bad
2: until now, so it's going to be okay. Yep, I think that's exactly right. I, I mean, there, there is definitely something to be said for de facto freedom, even if you don't have it truly uh, in law. But uh, it would it would comfort, I think, a lot of people, myself included, to know that actually you do have the rights and liberties uh, that would be outlined in a in a real contract. Super. Um,
1: okay, I, I want to open, if there's any questions, just raise your hand or tag me in our, in our Discord chat. Um, Alex, let's, let's go back to practical things as well. If people are very interested in this, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen that your Tipolis, Tipolis site is still kind of in the works. How, how can people stay involved and up to date with all the work that you and the free private cities are doing?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the, the best way would really be... Um going to freeprivatecities.com. That is like we've talked about so far in this talk. It's really the think tank side of the business. As you can imagine, much of what Tipolis is doing, since we are working with host nations, it's very confidential and we have to be very cognizant about what we do and don't share related to any projects. Um, And so for that reason, Tipolis is a relatively, um, less informative website. It's, it's just got some of the basics. The ideas would be all over the free private cities, uh, dot com website. There you can read about various projects that are going on. Uh, these would be, you know, sort of prosperity zones, really special, special economic zones. Um, e- even just some intentional communities that have a very intentional focus towards Liberty uh, would be included there. So you can learn about those projects on that site. Um, that's probably the best way to stay up to date as well. Since when we get um, uh, some projects up and running, we'll certainly funnel those through uh, the promotion arm of the FreePrivateCities.com website. And from there, you'll, you'll find links to any other you know project related websites.
1: Awesome. And, 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 you know, there's another, another address for everyone to check out, and I'll put these contacts in the Discord afterwards. Uh, Dr. Mark Latta is also kind of very erudite and speaks very well on this topic. He runs the Charter Cities Institute, which is another kind of really good think tank trying to be pragmatic on these, on these questions and also answer the philosophical questions. Because, you know, that's what got me thinking on the whole kind of Web3 front and the crypto front. Uh, a lot of people have put forward good ideas when it comes to uh, you know, using uh, using kind of uh, crypto or the blockchain to, to help with legal disputes, right? Uh, you know, you can easily pull together maybe a panel or a, a jury uh, of peers and they can all vote and verify that it's them uh, using blockchain technology. So there are so many wonderful applications if we can just kind of find the right host nation. Uh, and I think that that's a good final question. Pragmatically, Alex, uh, when, when do you think we, we may see the first uh, charter city like this coming into being.
2: Well, um, first, let me, let me mention uh, Mark Lutter is actually no longer running the Charter Cities Institute. He founded it and was the president or CEO, maybe both, uh, for a while. And just, I think, a month or two ago, he actually uh, stepped down because he is going to become the CEO of a new charter city project. Uh, that has, as far as I'm aware, yet to be named. Uh, but it gives you another indication that th- these types of ideas are growing in, um, in demand and there's more and more going on in the space. And so hopefully we'll see something soon. Um, in terms of when we'll see these projects, so I would point you towards the Honduran Zedes, Z-E-D-E is how you spell them. Um, it stands for Zones for Economic uh, development and employment. And uh, these are the closest things that exist right now to charter cities. Um, we're very involved with uh, two of the three current ones. So um, Honduras Prospera on the island of Roatan and uh, Ciudad Morazán, which is actually on the mainland of uh, Honduras. And so we're, we're very familiar with both of those projects. Both are in um i would say growing phase, they're they're above infant phase but but still certainly growing um there are a, there are a number of citizens in both uh or residents i i guess would be a better term um but i it's not a full-fledged city necessarily so uh they're still still certainly in the development stage and so i i would certainly encourage anyone interested to, to check out either one of those uh, both have very good websites. I can send them to you uh, after this. I don't know them off the top of my head. And then as for a TIFLIS-related project, uh, I certainly can't guarantee <laughs> anything, but I I hope to have more information uh, in the next months about a project that we have going on, and I'd be certainly happy to share that uh, if and when I can. Um, once, once we have that information public, it will uh, take time, of course, to... Uh, go from you know, essentially nothing to a full-fledged city. But uh, I think you know really the idea is that in, in a year or two, uh, maybe three, you could have what we like to, to term uh, minimum viable city, which is probably uh, approximately 300 to five hundred uh, residents. We think that's enough to have sort of that core level of infrastructure you need. Creates a bit of an environment for you know a little town life that that type of thing and so uh, you know probably within a year to two years you could have um, minimum viable city but to have a city of thirty to forty thousand that's going to be a, you know a ten year project most likely.
1: Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm your ideal citizen.
2: In fact, I, I even once spoke to Dr.
1: Tedd Gebel, because um, at the when when they first started the website, they were looking for ambassadors. Mm-hmm. um and um you know both my friend and i were like you know one of us should probably do these and uh you know we ended up chatting about it and then my friend who's heavily involved in the libertarian party in israel ended up kind of getting involved in that i thought i'll keep keep a, l- a lower key but i mean i'm your perfect i'm your perfect candidate i work completely as a digital nomad i work completely in web3 now i don't have dependents um i'm not nationalistic and um so you know do please uh, keep me informed, and I'll keep my communities informed. Because I think um, I think there are a number of us that are more and more feeling the same way that you know, as long as it seems somewhat grounded and pragmatic and viable, um, and I'm not going to get shot,
2: uh, I'm I'm willing to come along for the ride and and help you build. That's that's great to hear, and uh, absolutely, we'll be happy to keep you uh, and anyone else informed uh, to the best of our ability. We we hope to have more to share in the relatively near future and and hopefully this provides a bit of refuge uh, for for those uh, people out there like yourself that would like to exit and and live a bit more free. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you.
1: Um, To the communities listening, please check out the CAFE schedule. We have a bunch of these scheduled for the upcoming week and all of you who listened in today to this rather brilliant but technical discussion uh, open a ticket with me, please, and we'll get you kind of some catnip and some rewards. Alex, thank you so much for this. I, you know, I know you're very busy, but I appreciate you know kind of your philosophy in free private cities. That you know you'll speak to small groups like ours, and uh, you know you build, you're converting people one person at a time uh, to just kind of politely exit. Right? We we don't want to wave guns around. We you know we're not protesting and being violent. We would just like to see an alternative and uh, for our host nations to let us go
2: and, and try something new. I agree with all of that, and thank you so much for having me. It was really my pleasure.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everyone.
2: Bye.